Coming up next, The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy. Every Thursday from 4pm, right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Welcome to this Crunch special, discussing the special votes and the final results of the election. And it's no surprise that the National Party needs the support of ACT and New Zealand First to form the next government based on the final count. The final count included 567,000 special votes, slightly lowering National's party vote and increasing Labour's share. But National has lost two electorate seats to Labour, reducing its total seats in Parliament to 48. Remember on election night, they had 50 seats. This has been long predicted by many in the media, including myself. In order to form a government, though, because of an overhang, which we'll discuss shortly, there's a requires a majority of 62 seats. National and ACT together fall short of this, and therefore New Zealand First support is needed. Te Party Maori have created an overhang. They've gained two additional electorate seats, which is two seats more than they're entitled to according to their percentage of the vote. And this creates an overhang. Takatai Kemp won the Maori electorate seat of Tamaki Makaro by just four votes over Minister Pene Henare. And Maramio Kapakingi won Titai Tokarau with a majority of 517 votes over the Labour Party deputy leader, Kelvin Davis. And as a result of that, there'll be an overhang in Parliament by two seats because, as I said before, Te Party Māori won more electorate seats than it would otherwise have from its share of the party vote. Of course, voters in Port Waikato will head back to the polls, which will add a third seat to the Parliament, making the formation of a government and a majority that much more difficult. The final voter turnout was 78.2%, and now the key party leaders, Christopher Lux and David Seymour and Winston Peters, uh, will have to uh, form their little committees to start negotiating what the coalition looks like. But there's no more any doubt uh, New Zealand First is going to play a crucial role in the government formation, and rumour has it that National is prepared to offer New Zealand First at least the broadcasting minister's role, which could be very interesting for our little friend Jack Tame. To discuss the implications of these results, with me on the line now is veteran pollster David Farrer. Welcome to the Crunch special on the specials, David. It is a crunch indeed. One one of them's down to four votes. I think the lawyers will be happy. Yeah, th- those are always fraught with difficulty, um, but I'm not sure the Labour Party has got enough money to in the kitty to um, do an electoral petition. Well, actually, if there's any seat, I reckon they'll do one, and it's Mount Albert. They actually won it by 20 votes, but if they could manage to lose it, they lose Helen White, who they regard as useless, and they get Camilla Bellich on, who is regarded as a future leader, for she would come in on the list. So, you know... <laughs> Well, Labour may go for the electoral petition in a seat they won. <laughs> well, I think Melissa Lee will probably be pushing the National Party for that, uh, you know, whatever it costs. I think it costs about 200000 for an electoral petition, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it is incredible 
that the safest Labour seat in the country, the home to three former Labour leaders, or I, I think Michael Joseph Savage might have been two, four maybe, um, um, went from 21,000 majority to 20. Uh, absolutely incredible result. Yeah. I mean, what's incredible too is the performance of two parties, two minor parties, to party Maori who have now won uh, two extra seats. You know, Matt McCartan predicted that when I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago after the election. Uh, he said yep. that he was confident they were going to pick up Titi Tokerau, which of course is Calvin Davis's seat, a minister, the deputy leader of the Labour Party. And they've also bundled out uh, Pene Henere by only four votes. But, so that um, will be a recount at least. Well, you can do a recount yeah. and then an electoral petition. Yeah, exactly. So that's a that's a, a great result for Te Party Maori. Um, you know they've actually Ooh. overperformed and caused caused a uh, an overhang in Parliament, which means that it was even harder for National Enact to get the numbers together to to form a, a two party coalition. Um, but I you think have they've to... done even better than we might have realised. They've won six of the seven Maori seats, mm. and the only one they won is the one where the Labour MP defected to them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think if they hadn't told the Walker jumper who didn't do a whole point of principle, um, then they probably would have won the seat with their own candidate and won all seven. Well, you know, uh, you know the Maori Party uh, have have shared with me that they think that these results are baked in and that Labour will never get those seats back. Uh, you never say never because we've seen them go to New Zealand first in the 90s, back to Labour, then Tariana set up the Māori Party. I don't hmm. think they ever won all seven, but they got to five out of six, I think. Um, but Labour's big problem with the Greens and the Māori Party are they're going to be on opposition. How are they going to go to the left of the Greens on tax anything that moves or to the left of the Māori Party on co-governance, um, etc. It's going to be pretty tough. And having lost those six electorate seats, they're still going to have a lot of Māori MPs, but they're going to be list MPs who won't seem to be speaking for um, you know, their constituency. So, yeah, I think they've got real problems there. Of course, the big winner is New Zealand first. I mean, we all knew this was coming. Yeah. Um, you're exactly right. By the Maori Party, you're going to need a 62 seats to govern. National Act's at 59. Even if you assume they win Port Waikato 60, they're two seats short. So, yeah, it's going to be a National New Zealand First Act government of some sort. How do you think David Seymour's feeling right now after running pretty much a campaign that was entirely focused on attacking Winston Peters? I think Winston will be sending him a Christmas ham, maybe a turkey. Uh, but should be a, a, a box of champagne because what Winston wanted was relevance. Yeah, and having someone run ads against you saying "Don't vote from you can't be trusted" um, gives exactly that relevance you need. Yeah, having said all that, lot the the three leaders have to work together. Yep. Yo, know, in campaigns you say "Don't vote for the other guy," "Don't trust them," "Vote for me," and that's part of campaigning, but. What they have to do is just show, look, you know, we were a better choice than what a Labour Green Māori Party government would have been. Well, you know, the, the voters did vote for change. Um, 
you know, what I find astonishing still to this day is that with the worst government in living memory, and, and you know, that's just not my judgment, that's Michael Bassett's judgment, and he's a political historian, so he'd know, that Nationals still couldn't get over 40% against the worst government ever. It, yeah. it staggers me. Yeah, they, you know, they would have liked to have got more, absolutely. Interesting on the specials, Cam, that mm. National went down, Act went down, New Zealand first went down, Māori Party went up, Greens went up. Labour's normally the party that does really well on specials, and they didn't even move 0.1 of a percent. So it really shows that tide is out there. But with National, I think what you say is people wanted change, but they weren't convinced about who that change should be. And they allowed both Act and New Zealand First to say, make sure we're part of the government. Speaking of uh, New Zealand First, what what do you think they're going to want to focus on for for their um you know, constituency for their voters, what they want, uh, and that they'll be talking to uh, Christopher Luxon about. Well, everyone says that the first thing is respect, you yeah. know, uh, not to say, oh, grudgingly, yeah, we don't really want to deal with you, but we do. Respect will probably mean ministerial portfolios, but not necessarily. Um, they'll want to be able to do something in areas which will get people to vote for them in three years' time. So one suggestion I've had is Shane Jones, for example, might take on energy. Why? Because the Greens will go berserk at Shane Jones's policies, which would be allow oil and gas, et cetera, allow mining and all that. And that's good for New Zealand First. Having the Green Party attack you for three years would be exactly what they need. So I reckon they'll want something in the energy area. We always assume provincial development. And with Winston, look, he's got the experience. He can not quite choose what he wants. But I think the big thing for Winston is everyone knows he could be foreign minister easily. He's got the right instincts. He's got the experience. But will that get people voting for him in three years' time? Well, the answer is that he's still no. leading the party. You don't vote because someone's good foreign minister. But if... The plan is that either Shane Jones or Casey Costello would take over before the next election. Then maybe Winston does take foreign and look for what those two get. And as someone who's worked with Casey Costello and has huge respect for her, if she gets a role in Maori Crown Relations or Treaty, she's not someone who's just will talk the talk about making change she will go in there really wanting to change things so i'll be very interested if casey becomes a minister and what she gets the other thing that i've heard uh, coming out of the national party camp is that they have apparently offered the broadcasting uh portfolio uh to a new zealand first uh mp so that could be really interesting particularly for our little friend jack tame <laughs> uh, considering what Winston said in that interview, if, if if New Zealand First gets broadcasting, maybe they're going to bash up the media a little bit. Well, I think Winston said he wants a royal commission into media bias. Now, on election night, more than one national MP or senior official, I won't name names, mm. said, you know what? That would be a bad idea. I reckon we could agree to that. Well, maybe they should appoint you and I to that uh, royal commission. Oh, I, I've already started writing the report. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, I I, th- I think you could see uh, if that was the case that the broadcasting minister might say, well, okay, uh, what we want to we're going to call in all the government department heads. We're going to say, right now, how much are you spending on government advertising? Yeah. Uh, with all of the media organisation now, there's a six month moratorium for that, yeah. Uh, and and starve the media a bit of the of the government lucre that keeps them afloat, while they sit there and work out what they're going to do with government uh, funding. Ooh. And if I was really devilish in New Zealand First, what I'd do is then say, right, well, okay, well you're going to still run government advertising, but because it's public interest advertising, you're going to run it for free. I don't think you'll do that, but I tell you what, people focus on the public interest journalism fund technically ended 55 mil, but that's pretty small bickies compared to what we didn't see, which is the government basically said, keep our friends in the media afloat. Every department spend lots on newspaper advertising. Yeah. And they did. And whether it was value for money, you know, something like this. The media had so much advertising from the government yep. that on more than one occasion, a centre-right lobby group like Hobson's Pledge or Taxpayers Union, they actually turned down their advertising money because they said, oh, your ads are wee bit edgy. Yeah. They turned down a TU one because it was the satirical dancing Cossacks type stuff about the RMA reforms and being a return to central planning committees, you know, um, et cetera. And of course you can afford to when you've got government departments lining up like, you know, we need to spend $100,000 with you, yo. can you give us a few column centimetres? Yeah. Now you're a bit of a, a wonk when it comes to, demographics and statistics you've picked up something interesting here haven't you with the final result uh, particularly around maori mps yeah by my reckoning we now have a record of 32 mps who are maori and that's 26 percent of parliament now to put this into context um, the adult population is around 13% Māori. So rather than having, look, this is not necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of people would think, like many countries, Indigenous population is underrepresented in Parliament. Actually, they've got twice their share of the adult population. And that's not, yeah, you know, that's because every party has them on the list and also some parties have stood them in general seats where they've won does tend to indicate, though, that if you argue you need the seven Māori seats to guarantee Māori representation, well, actually, you could take away the seven Māori seats and there would still be an over-representation in Parliament. What other interesting demographics have you picked up from the final count? Um, it's around 44% women, so down from 50%, but 44 is still you know, quite a bit better than... Uh, uh, most countries, um, and that's all I've really got at this stage is that's of gender, ethnicity, fairly youthful parliament. There's like um, 22% of MPs are under 40, which is, you know, quite a high number. I think the Greens are probably partly responsible for that. Uh, and there's actually only 11 MPs who are in their 60s or 70s. So is it, it really is a changed parliament from what we've seen in, in past years. 
Yeah, yeah, as younger, as more ethnic, slightly more male. All right. So when I say to... more ethnic, though, that's probably a bit unfair because, um, oh no, actually, so I, I do stand by that because actually there's been quite a big increase in number of Asian MPs to nine, uh, and there's I think eight Pacific MPs. Right. So if so anyone's we're... slightly underrepresented, it's probably European MPs. They're sixty-one percent of Parliament. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're going to see is a fair bit of gloating from the Maori Party, though, for the next couple of days. John Tamahiri will be the cat that's got the cream. So it'll be interesting to see when Willie Jackson actually jacks it in and decides he's had enough. Yeah, look, I think Willie will go before the terms are. Grant will be gone in a few months. Unless David Parker stands for leader, I think he'll be gone too. I mean, Willie was the campaign chair for the Maori seats, yeah, so losing six out of seven, you know, it's isn't a great record. You'd you'd have to say that's hashtag fail. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, just to summarise, where do you th- how think how quick do you think these negotiations will be, and what do you think it's going to look like? You know, I know it's going to be difficult to to choose, but hey, that that's why we're here. We we like talking about these sort of hypotheticals. Yeah, I think it's a couple of weeks max. I I think the fact they've already had what you call the pre-negotiations, which isn't detailed, but it's, hey, what's important to you? What are your big priority areas? Um, I think they'll be able to sort out portfolios really quickly because they're easy to do. You know what portfolios you have, you know what people will be interested in. You roughly know that if they all want to be ministers, how many each party should get. The hard stuff will be the policies. Where they all agree, law and order, welfare, making it you know, a bit more responsibilities for beneficiaries, um, probably defence and cutting wasteful spending, probably quite easy too. But yeah. there are only going to be some areas where there are you know, significant differences between the parties. And, and you've got Act who wants to cut taxes and cut spending. New Zealand First will want to spend in some of their areas and National will want to deliver the tax cuts package that's going to be the hardest thing is to give each party some policy wins but also allow national to say we've kept our promise if christopher luxon was smart uh he would agree to new zealand first's wish for a commission of inquiry into COVID, an independent commission of inquiry because i could see winston peters and and i can imagine him tapping his favorite lawyer on the shoulder to run another wine box type inquiry which would see the debilitation of all key Labour people that were involved in all the decision-making over COVID uh, and a whole lot of uh, information being revealed that could be spread out over a year or two years with an inquiry. Yeah, there is a Royal Commission of Inquiry or a Commission of Inquiry, and Labour are a bit smart because they put a former National Cabinet Minister on their hehe parata um, so it makes it a bit hard for national to say we don't trust these people. They put an epidemiologist on who was somewhat critical of the government, but also generally went along. I think what's more likely is rather than change the people you've appointed who've been working, 
is Labour would have set those terms of reference quite narrowly. Yes. So it doesn't actually critique their performance. Like, why did they say we're front of the queue for vaccines when they actually were almost last in the developed world? Mm. So what I would do if I was national is expand those terms of reference so that areas of concern to people will be explicitly mandated for them to report on. And yeah, I think there would be a lot of, stuff to come out which the former government won't want all right thanks for thanks for that summary uh david and thank you for your assessment on where things are are at and i guess we'll uh, talk in the future on other crunch episodes about the where's and why falls of this beautiful game of politics that we both enjoy look forward to it thanks cam thank you that was david farrer a veteran pollster giving us his impressions of the final count now, just to summarise, Christopher Luxon is now the Prime Minister-elect. He has confirmed that only Nicola Willis has been locked into a ministerial role as government formation negotiations continue. National seat count has decreased from 50 seats to 48, and to party Maori gained two additional seats, bringing their total to six. The Greens also added one seat, making their count 15. Labour on 34 seats, ACT on 11 seats and New Zealand First on 8 seats maintained their election night seat counts. There's a by-election in Port Waikato and an increased number of special votes at 603,257 or 20.9% of the total votes altered substantially the parliamentary landscape. National lost two electorate seats, as we've already discussed, and that's affected their ability to form a majority government with just ACT. The National Party's vote decreased slightly from 38.95% to 38.06%, and Labour's vote saw a slight increase from 26.9% to 26.91%. The new majority of 62 seats is now needed because of the overhang created by Te Party Māori's success in the Māori seats, and the Port Waikato by-election. Two seasoned Labour candidates were defeated, Rachel Boyack winning Nelson and Phil Twyford securing Tiatu. The overall seat count in Parliament has increased by two, with the Port Waikato by-election adding a third seat, bringing the total to 123 MPs. The final voter turnout was 78.2%, with special votes making up 20.9% of the total. You've been listening to a special on the special votes on The Crunch with Cam Slater. You've been listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Remember, you can check out the replays for today's show on our website at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash replays. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. for more with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio.